Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You're listening to, yeah, that's probably an ad. This is the Adweek Podcast, where we talk about marketing, media, technology, pop culture, because in the end, everything's an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm an editor with adweek.com. Uh, and this is our first week with a new co-host. So exciting. Welcome Sammy Main, a frequent guest on the show and now permanent co-host. She's our social editor, and I'm just so excited to have you on as our as our new co-host. So welcome, Sammy. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, Sammy has been... How long have you been with Adweek now? Two years? Year? Uh, almost two years. Yeah, maybe about a year and a half. And so you have a really fascinating background, uh, and we will get into that. I think we'll do like kind of a bonus meet the Sammy episode. Uh, (laughs) So we'll come back to that later and don't want to eat up too much because we have a lot to talk about today. Speaking of which, we've got uh, in our third chair, Jason Lynch, senior editor on the TV beat here at Adweek. Jason, it's always great to have you on the show. It is great to have you, and I will try to hold my... uh Position here as the one non-co-host on today's podcast. (laughs) You're solely a guest. Yeah, the odds are slim. (laughs) Yeah, then you get like your feet nailed to the floor and you have to be here every week. So uh, enjoy the flexibility. (laughs) All right. uh, Well, we have got Jason here because we have just so much TV stuff to talk about today. uh, And uh, we're going to be covering a wide breadth of stuff. But uh, we've got a few other things as well, too. Some cool ads and uh, some intentionally annoying ads. Is that a good way to put that? A nice mm-hmm. teaser. Yeah, that's fair. All right. And speaking of which, let's dive right into the news. All right. Before we get to the real hard news, I wanted to talk about New York's most annoying ads, at least on the subway system. Uh, Sammy, give us some background of these. Uh, <laughs> th- these are for TransferWise, which is not a mystery. They don't hide their identity. But these ads have really been baffling subway writers in recent weeks. Tell us about these. You did a deep dive into this. Yes, I did a deep dive as inspired by a very complaining tweet that I sent a couple weeks ago. Uh, So these ads are from TransferWise, like you said, uh, and they were running in subways basically through the month of March. I'm not sure if they'll be sticking around or if they'll bring them back. Um, So if you're in New York, you might have seen them on various train lines. They are limericks, and they are limericks about people who like, you know, messed up money, (laughs) did something wrong with money, and could have used TransferWise, but didn't. Except the limericks, my friends, they don't rhyme. The last line doesn't rhyme. And I got to tell you, as someone who... call myself a perfectionist, even though I can accept humanity's flaws, even my own. I really, my brain just needed them 
to rhyme and it bothered it. It itched it, you know, it, it needed to be fixed. Uh, so I, I fired off, you know, a, a hot tweet <laughs> where, uh, I believe the term I used was inconsolable that these ads didn't rhyme. Uh, and it kind of made its way around the internet all the way back to TransferWise itself and the copywriters of the ads themselves, Colby and Danny. Um, and the company ended up reaching out to us, to me specifically, to kind of see if we wanted to interview them about it and kind of talk about these ads that didn't rhyme. Uh, and so working with the lovely video team here and our editor, Brianna, who was able to turn this into like a fun, spoofy 2020 expose kind of video for the website to kind of get down to these ads that made, you know, people who aren't me angry. They made a lot of people angry. They have to stare at these on the subway. Um, so it was really fun. TransferWise was totally down to poke fun at themselves and was game the whole way through. Um, so yeah, we kind of got to the bottom of these intentionally non-rhyming ads. Right. Let's pause there and just go ahead and read one of these limericks, um, so people can get a sense of how, uh, disappointing they were. Uh, here's one. Uh, there once was a man called Hank who sent money abroad with his bank. He got hit with bad rates, couldn't afford dates, and now he's single and lonely. <laughs> it's just, yeah, that does, I that can't. Doesn't rhyme. Uh-huh. Can I read the one that made me so angry? And it's also, many people have pointed it out, uh, and as someone who, I've done improv for quite a while, there's a warm-up called Bad Rap, and it is this, where you set up a couplet where everyone knows how it should end, and the trick is to make your brain not end in the rhyme you're expecting. And it's a fun brain teaser, but not in this capacity. Uh, so the one that made me so angry is... There once was a woman called Maud who used her bank to send money abroad. One look at that rate, it made her feel faint, and now she has to give up two of her cat's waffles and cuddles. Uh, it's just so, so much that I wish was different. And, you know, they had fun writing them. They're telling their stories. But, my God, I just need them to rhyme. Let's just call these what they are. They're they're trolling ads. <laughs> so as we mentioned, Sammy, you tracked down uh, the two guys behind this campaign at TransferWise. Uh, and so let's uh, let's hear a little bit about what we learned from your video interview with them on adweek.com. I kind of like the thing that it makes you think. So that last line, it gets you really angry. Like, why is it not there? Why is it not rhyming? So it was it was pretty funny. It, it, we were kind of psyched about it, though, because we felt um, they're talking about us. They're still thinking about it. They've gone off the subway, and then they've thought, I'm going to tweet about that. And Colby and I like to respond to people, to like explain why. And generally, in the end, like people are really nice with it. And at the end of the day, it's a limerick. You know, Sammy, I noticed in that video we also obscured the identity of someone uh, who, who uh, you know, would blur their face and voice. And uh, they, they th that person seemed, you know, had a real problem with it. They seemed really familiar, though, almost like your haircut, kind of same look as you. Oh, interesting. They seemed really upset about the limerick. Okay, wanted to move on to some slightly more uh, serious news. Uh, boycotts have been a recurring theme in advertising uh, amid this very partisan 
era that we're in right now, especially. Uh, we've seen it, obviously, uh, a year ago with Bill O'Reilly. Uh, there was an advertiser boycott that definitely helped expedite his ouster from Fox News. The newest Fox News personality to have an advertiser boycott against her is Laura Ingram. Uh, she tweeted a um, kind of making fun of a the gun control activist David Hogg, who's one of the survivors of the Parkland School shooting. Uh, he had uh, mentioned in an interview that he had been turned down by a few colleges. Uh, he uh, and I think four colleges had rejected him, uh, some of his top picks. And he was just talking about, oh, I'm, I'm still trying to decide which, you know, where I'm going to end up going to school. Uh, he had a 4.2 GPA, so he is no slouch. Uh, but she had, Laura Ingram had uh, tweeted making fun of him and saying that he was whining about it. Uh, he kind of fired back and said, you know, here are 12 of her advertisers. Uh, I think, you know, you should contact them and let them know that they shouldn't be supporting a bully uh, on Fox News. It grew very quickly from there. Uh, you know, uh, Sammy, you have mentioned this before that uh, you got to be careful going up against teens, especially these teens, uh, because this is their this is their native battlefield. <laughs> mm-hmm. Watch your back. Yeah, it's kind of like, it's like Bane. Like I was born in the darkness. You they were born in this fire, back. and they will tear you limb from limb on the internet. So let's talk about some of the advertisers that have pulled out of Laura Ingram's show. Uh, we have Johnson & Johnson, obviously, most notably, one of the biggest consumer packaged goods companies on earth. Uh, but the other name's pretty big, too. Hulu, Stitch Fix, Nestle, Expedia, uh, Nutrish, which is a Rachel Ray brand, uh, TripAdvisor, and Wayfair had all pulled out before her last episode. Uh, and then she... Uh, Let's see, I think Jenny Craig had two ads on that episode, but they've since said that they're taking steps to remove their ads, according to CNBC. Uh, and uh, since the episode, the last episode aired, Liberty Mutual, Office Depot, and Entertainment Studios, which made the movie Chappaquiddick, uh, have all uh, announced that they have pulled their ads as well. So I believe it, the total stands at over a dozen. Uh, she is taking a week off. The network says it was pre-planned, just Easter holiday. Uh, but uh, you know, probably for her, a good time to not be on the airwaves and, and may, maybe let some of this die down. Jason, I'm curious. These boycotts, you cover the TV industry. Well, these boycotts seem to be flaring up every few months. How effective do you think they are these days? I think it can be more effective than ever before, and that's because of social media and the fact that brands are exposed on social media and are kind of in a position now where they, they if you don't comment, it's kind of very glaring omission of, of, of having a statement out there. You know, a couple of years ago, if there was a pressure for an advertiser boycott, a brand could kind of sidestep it. You just wouldn't comment or wouldn't say anything. And now in this social media era where you have brands their comments are just filled with with angry angry people saying why why are you ever still advertising what's going on here so I think we're seeing brands really being strong strong armed especially on social media now to taking a, a side where maybe a year or two ago they would have just tried to quietly ride out the storm yeah, and, and one piece of leverage that these activists have anyone who's kind of complaining about these shows is that Fox News just wants to keep the money, right? They they don't, you, you know, it's like obviously they would rather the show not lose advertisers, but as long as those advertisers aren't pulling off of Fox News altogether, like maybe they're shifting their dollars around, that gives uh, these critics some leverage uh, to say, hey, if you don't want to pull out of your network entirely, you need to do something about this personality. I think so. You remember, it's also it was it was almost a, exactly a year ago where Bill O'Reilly left in large part because of that advertiser boycott. 
And Laura Ingram's ratings are nowhere near what Bill O'Reilly's were. So, I mean, he was certainly much more an essential part of, of Fox News than she was. Um, that's not to say it'll be a completely different case, but but advertisers and you know losing the threat of losing advertisers is going to be uh, that's really what's going to get kind of fox news execs to to set up and take notice so this is much more of an aggressive and effective form of boycotting than saying like oh let's keep an eye on ratings and if if ratings are going down because people are upset with her no if advertisers are pulling out they're going to have to make a uh, they're going to have to kind of take a stand on this and make a decision about what they're going to do with her sooner rather than later Sammy, I'm curious, there is one overlap here with social media, which is, you know, with Facebook and the controversy with Cambridge Analytica and data privacy that they've been having in recent weeks, you've seen a lot more people saying, delete Facebook, get off Facebook, I'm leaving, uh, you know, you've seen people and brands. I'm curious if you're seeing that in a more kind of formal way, or if you're feeling like it's more of a threat right now than the usual where people just say, ah, I'm leaving Facebook. It does kind of seem to be the latest version of everyone's like, why I'm leaving New York essays, where it's like, just leave. You don't have to give us a whole thesis on why you're leaving. Just leave if you're going to leave. I haven't seen like such a huge wave of people leaving. I've seen you know, a couple people kind of bow out. Um, but I think I've heard, you know, they, they've gone through the process and, and kind of deactivated it, so to speak. And then if you go to try to remake your account, it still has everything. Like, I don't think leaving will necessarily bleed the system dry of personal information on you. It might make you feel better, but they have what they're going to have. And I think the damage has been done. So many people rely on social networks, though, and they don't have the luxury of being able to leave. Like, that's how they get jobs. That's how they get people to their comedy shows. That's how they, you know, stay in touch with with family or friends. Or I saw someone today, um, Helen Rosner was saying, uh, Facebook is where her dog Sleepaway Camp posts all their pictures that she can see while she's traveling. So she can't delete Facebook because how will she get these updates on her dog? Um, so it still plays a vital role in people's lives. I think it might make some people feel better to leave and to kind of deactivate. And quite honestly, I say this even as our social editor, taking a break from social media ain't so bad. Go for it. All right. Well, it is time to talk about the best ads of the week. It's a segment we call Ads Worth Watching. All right. This week we have a fun one. It is uh, longer than your usual traditional ad by quite a bit. It's six minutes long, uh, but I would say it's worth the, it's worth the watch. Uh, it is a promotion for the Hammer Museum uh, at the at UCLA. Uh, they have a new exhibit called Stories of Almost Everyone, uh, and they have a really fun promotional piece for it uh, that basically acknowledges that uh, conceptual art, uh, abstract art, can be. A little unapproachable, a little difficult uh, to come in. You know, this one, it, this is the real stuff. It's got like a pair of socks lying on the ground. Yeah, yeah this is this is a uh, a legit uh, conceptual art exhibit. And so I think they wanted to be um, 
a little more upfront about that. So they had uh, Will Farrell and Joel McHale uh, come in and basically get a tour from the curator, uh, and he just walks them around. And the the video is broken into two parts. Basically, we've got uh, him showing the two of them around and walking through some of the pieces, uh, and the, they're just a, I mean, of course it's comedy gold, you know, because it's all it's all crazy. Uh, and then we've got him, uh, we've got the two of them responding afterward, just kind of talking about it, where they get a little more sincere. Let's listen first to uh, definitely the best parts of some of the intro where they're just walking around and discovering some of the art and having it explained to them. Let's listen to a little bit of that. So this is the mail uh, of the museum that's been redirected here over the course of the exhibition. It's a work by Mungo Thompson. Here's, here's my concern. Okay. That there are actual pertinent pieces of mail that need to be looked at bills, um, I don't know, someone's jury duty notice. Right at 4.20 every day? 4.20. What if Will and I decided to send fresh oysters to the yes. museum? They would have to go here. Whoa. I wouldn't. I'm not going to send them. And this you can touch. This you cannot touch. And uh, and then, you know, a little bit later, they, as I mentioned, they sit down and they kind of talk a little more uh, earnestly about the importance of, of an exhibit like this. And while they, they don't just kind of shift 180 and say, yeah, you know, this art is very important and I've learned something today, uh, they still, you know, have a nice welcoming message. Let's listen to a little of that conclusion. I know a lot of people are like, I don't know if this is art. It's definitely art, I would say. I think. I appreciate the effort. I can't do it. Well, some of them I could do. They should definitely come see the show. Staring at them for a long time with other people kind of makes it art. So the the video was directed by Eric Hirschberg, who used to be chief creative officer of Deutsch LA. Uh, so obviously the LA connection there. Uh, he has most recently been Activision CEO for the past eight years. It was produced by I, I believe it's pronounced Hecho on Seventy Two, uh, the which is the production arm of Seventy Two and Sunny, the agency uh, based in LA. Uh, and uh, and supposedly all all the talent, everything was offered up, the direction, everything was offered up pro bono. Uh, so that's why you're able to get all this star power in a con, you know conceptual art exhibit uh, promotion. The f- finished product is just great. Uh, you know, it reminds me so much of like growing up. Uh, it, I remember going to the Hirshhorn uh, with my dad, who grew up in you know the rural uh, Florida Panhandle, and we go to the the Hirshhorn Museum in D.C. And he's just like looking at these pieces of plywood on a wall. <laughs> it's just like, huh? Yeah, you know, this really kind of uh, does a good job of, of referencing that feeling. <laughs> like what? Like you've got this uh, when they see this exhibit of pillows that have only been slept on by acrobats, and they're like, "How did you? Did he just like go around to uh, circuses asking people, like, would you mind, would you mind sleeping on this?" And the odds are they were saying like, you know, some people probably said no, weirdo, and then others were like, "Yeah, okay." Well, so what do you guys <laughs> think? Does this approach work? Does it uh, make something? Like a conceptual art exhibit, does it feel more welcoming and feel like it's is this self-referential style of humor more effective at uh, at getting someone to come out to an exhibit like this that they they may not have? Is that approach work? I love that. I love when a company or a brand opens its doors and is like, come. 
junk on us. It's so refreshing, especially for a museum, which I do think a lot of people think is very, you know, unapproachable and kind of not for them if they don't have, you know, a certain kind of college degree. It can be very hard to go into a space like that and not know how to interpret anything. Um, so I think it's very nice of the museum to be like, yeah, it's weird. We get it. But like, you're not alone. It's okay to come and kind of absorb what you can and make fun of it if you want. I don't know. I think it's really refreshing. I thought it was great too. It was, it was a lot of fun. And I also liked the length of it. I liked the fact that there was some time for them to, to really get into a lot of the different exhibits that were there. And for me, my, my two favorite moments were these kind of quiet little grace notes that I don't think would have made it in a, uh, in a shorter cut down. And it was uh, one case of, of you see Will in the background, uh, almost kind of cracking up when, when Joel asks, how long did this install take? And I think the answer was like a whole <laughs> a day. day. <laughs> and then uh, it was a similar thing where this, this kind of crazy piano um, mm -hmm. keeps opening and closing with, with a huge bang. And, and, um, and Will Farrell asks if it was a relax if it's a relaxation tool, and you just see Joel in the background <laughs> cracking up. And it was just little things like that. They they were actually trying to be kind of semi serious to their approach to a degree, but then uh, just kind of to see them lose it was was also terrific. And you know, I I, I have to say after after watching that, I, I do kind of want to go see this exhibit. Mm -hmm. We'll definitely check it out on Adweek.com. The headline is "Baffled by Conceptual Art." So are Will Farrell and Joel McHale in this museum's short film. Uh, so look it up and watch for yourself. Uh, it's pretty good. Maybe you'll want to take a trip out to UCLA and go see the exhibit. All right. It is time for our big discussion of the week. All right. This week we are going to talk about a few different stories that Jason has been writing about lately that all kind of center around one thing, which is uh, the comeback of ABC. Uh, first off, Jason, walk us through ABC's standing here among networks because they've not exactly been at the top of the heap in the last few years. Yeah, they are. They're not. They're in fourth place among the broadcasters. And if you discount CW as kind of one of the big broadcasters, that means that they are in last place, which is not where you want to be. And they have been there for several years, which is, again, not where you want to be. They got rid of their uh, old broadcast president two years ago. Channing Dungey has come in. So her mandate is to try to get them out of fourth place. And uh, it didn't seem like it was going to happen. And all of a sudden this year, because of two shows, which are both of which we're about to talk about, this could be the first year that they finish the season uh, not in last place. So we're number three could soon be a rallying cry for them when it comes to the 1849 demo. Well, certainly one of the most uh, high profile in terms of uh, discussion is uh, in the public and buzz is Roseanne, the return of Roseanne. Uh, this has, uh, you know, been a really highly debated reboot that had very spectacular ratings uh, when, it, when it finally did debut on ABC. But Jason, you got to watch the first few episodes back in January. I'm just curious, did you, did you have a feeling that when this debuted, it was going to be this very uh, high profile show in terms of, of cultural debate? Uh, cultural debate, yeah, I could I could see that. Um, you know, especially after I, I I saw the first couple episodes back in January, and you know, I knew that this was could be a kind of a political flashpoint. But ratings wise, I had no idea that 18.2 million people would tune in, which is the I think highest rated sitcom in uh, so about two and a half years. 
And ABC had no idea either. I was talking to them yesterday, and they are just kind of completely over the moon. This is uh, this is numbers that would have been even big back when Roseanne was originally on the air. So this is this is a kind of a very pleasant, unexpected surprise for them. Now, obviously, a big point of the controversy is Roseanne herself uh, has been a Trump supporter. She's a very polarizing person politically. She's kind of gone into on some conspiracy theories uh, that a lot of people still bring up. Uh, and this show did not shy away from that. Right. It, it really did kind of uh, wade into this whole idea of life in a post-Trump election America and, and the divisiveness within families sometimes. Yeah. And it's it's really interesting because most of the debate is really going off that first episode with very directly takes on Trump voters versus Hillary voters and and the the, the debates and, you know, that, that, that kind of everybody is having um, and has been having in the last year and a half. And the subsequent episodes don't talk about Trump and Hillary directly anymore, but still delve very much into the issues that that are still at the heart of 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 kind of our political debate and whether it's healthcare, whether it's gender identity. So that that still still exists very much. But I think this kind of Trump voters versus Hillary voters, which is a lot of the kind of hundreds of think pieces that we've seen written in the last few days, you know, really really going onto that first episode, even though that doesn't carry through the rest of the season. Now, bringing back a sitcom is not a big risk these days, you know, doing it with will and grace. And there's a lot of retro revivals of one day at a time and some of these others, but there's a lot more riskiness inherent in this one. Uh, you know, as we mentioned, Roseanne herself is very polarizing this issue, of course, of, of kind of Trump's America, uh, and the divisiveness within it, within it is, uh, you know, is polarizing. Did, was this a big gamble for ABC? Did they see it as a big gamble? And if so, has it has it paid off? It certainly could have been. And, and uh, Roseanne was at, at, at Winter Press Tour in January, and she talked about the fact that she had her kids had actually made her stay off social media for a while, I think in part because there was a concern certainly with them and uh, definitely with ABC that she would uh, be kind of her polarizing self and potentially cause some advertiser boycotts. But um, when you have 18.2 million people tune in, advertisers aren't going to be worried about a little bit of controversy. Sammy, did you get to watch uh, any of the new Roseanne? Get to? Uh, I chose not to, if that's an answer to your question. I don't need that in my life. I don't know. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, if uh, if TV is your escapism, you know, a lot of us kind of turn off social media at the end of the day. And the last thing we want is more political debates and more divisiveness in the family <laughs> when that's kind of what we have to deal with uh, a lot of the rest of the time. <laughs> that's the thing is that I may be not watching TV for real life. And I say that as an avid fan of reality TV and even watching the there was a couple episodes that the Real Housewives of New York uh, were centered around the election and kind of all of that. That was tough to watch <laughs> because it brings you right back. And that's not why I'm watching TV. The kind of TV I end up watching is, you know, extreme escapism vis-a-vis like Terrace House on Netflix. Uh, so I'm I'm not going to watch it. I understand the kind of soothingness that a, that a sitcom format can have, but I can get that in, in different ways. I started re-watching 30 Rock over the weekend, and I'm good. I, I don't kind of need to tune into any of this that's happening now. 
Jason, what's interesting about this show is that it has, as you mentioned, it has generated a lot of hot takes, a lot of thoughtful perspectives, uh, and a lot of on Twitter, a lot of the debate has been pretty nuanced. I mean, people and TV critics especially are really kind of digging into some of the subtlety that, that it goes beyond just Trump versus Hillary or, you know, Democrat versus Republican. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, you know, have you seen some of those uh, threads on Twitter and some of these write-ups? And what, what have you thought of those? Which ones are your favorites? Yeah, and there have been a lot of them. And, and some of them have been great. Some of them have, have been not so great. Um, but yeah, there, there are two that have really stood out to me in the last day or two. Um, one is from Sonia uh, Soraya, who is the Variety TV critic. And she's actually just was hired uh, as the Vanity Fair TV critic. So she'll be moving over there shortly, but she was writing something that was actually based on a Twitter thread that she wrote yesterday that was really smart about how the show has was really successful at bridging you know, political differences, and it's much more kind of complicated and nuanced than just Roseanne Barr's real life beliefs. And um, you know, it treats the fact that you know voters who disagree are still people, and it's not just it's not really just boiling them down to to their political beliefs. And, you know, the fact that these people still have to kind of exist as family members, you know, regardless of, 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 of what side of the political fence they're on. So I thought that was great. Uh, you can find that on Variety. And then the other one was uh, Roxane Gay, who just wrote an opinion in uh, the New York Times. And, and she was talking about that, you know, she she loved the, the new episodes, but she can't separate it from from Roseanne in real life. And, um, and you know, and it was it kind of her working through that. It was a really interesting take. And, and also, you know, she she pointed out the fact that everybody, you know, including you know Trump himself, is saying that oh this this is this this audience who watched this was me. This show is about me and my voters, and, and but yet it also shows the fact that pop culture when they talk about the working class, it's almost always through a prism of a white family, and in real life, that's not what the working class really represents. So this is yet another example of that. So that was a really interesting take as well. Well, one of the other shows that we wanted to talk about is one you profiled on our cover uh, recently, which is The Good Doctor. Uh, so this is a kind of a, a fascinating medical drama in a time when medical dramas uh, have always been on a wave and they kind of come in and out. Uh, but tell us about this one. What makes it such a hit and, and uh, you know, what has made it kind of a breakout star uh, for for this season and definitely for ABC. So this has been kind of, I think, one of your quieter breakout hits. You know, this time last year we wrote about This Is Us, which was also mm. the breakout hit of last year, but everybody was really talking about that. And and although maybe Good Doctor doesn't have the social buzz that This Is Us did, it still has almost almost as much as that audience. It's just, it's it's been a really huge success this season. It is a show about, it's a medical drama about a surgeon who has autism and he's played by Freddie Highmore. So it's really kind of looking at a very familiar genre through through new eyes. It's uh, created by David Shore, who was the, the responsible for House, which also was a medical drama with a, a very unusual lead who often, you know, who had a lot of kind of social difficulties uh, with his patients. So so it's familiar. It's a bit of familiar territory for him. But it's it's been a it's been a great show. This, this is a genre that since ER went off the air in 2009, Broadcast networks have been desperate to try to find a, a new hit drama, and they've, there's been so many that have come and gone, and, and this has been really the, the, the first big medical hit since ER went off the air. 
I cannot believe ER went off the air in 2009. In my head, it ended in like 95. <laughs> that's wild to me. Yeah, anyway, It was on for 15 years. God almighty. All right. Well, maybe that's the next thing I'll rewatch. <laughs> so, Jason, tell us about the star here. Who is Freddie Highmore? So, Freddie Highmore, you if you, you most recently saw him as Norman Bates in the, the psycho prequel uh, Bates Motel that was on A&E. And he actually was offered this literally three days after wrapping that. That, wow. that, he was, that was kind of a really incredible performance. Actually, also a character that... Um, has some issues relating to other people socially. But he, he's been this incredible actor. He, he was a kid actor. You may have known him in uh, Finding Neverland, in uh, Tim Burton's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory mm. reboot. So he's he's acted you know really steadily for, for several years, and he's kind of very down-to-earth. He doesn't have the... The issues that you know you often will see with the child actors as they try to transition to being adults. He's just this really kind of talented guy, and he's uh, he he was very wary of of jumping right into another long potentially long running series after Bates Motel. But uh, you know, he he has been you know ABC and talking to David Shore, you know, everybody has been has agreed he was kind of the glue that really made this show work. So Jason, are we in for another? Uh, kind of big round, another wave of medical dramas. I mean, it seems like kind of like with TV show with the cop shows and firefighters. You know that we have these waves of shows about them. Are we in for another big deluge of uh, of medical dramas now? Hmm. Uh, certainly, the networks will, will try to make it work as they have been, and this will probably give you know, new life to 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 the efforts for some of the other networks who don't have hit medical dramas right now to to try and put some on the air. So that could happen in the next year or two, although I have a feeling the batting average will be as bad as low as it's been in the post-ER era. But what you'll see more uh, a little sooner, uh, the a- ABC was telling me that this has already affected their development for the next season in two big ways. The first is that they have far more procedurals in their new kind of lineup of, of potential pilots they may pick up to series than usual. And ABC is a series is, is a network that has more traditionally done more serialized shows. Think of the Shonda Rhyme shows, things like Once Upon a Time. But this has been a big wake up call for them, where you know they they see that the audience have responded to to procedurals or Channing Dungey, the president of ABC, calls them close ended dramas. So there's going to see you're going to see potentially a lot more of those on the air. And then the other thing is this idea of the underdog. And there was an ABC exec who was saying that they used to have tons of shows with underdogs. So I think think of a show like Ugly Betty. So this has also reminded them of of of. Have, trying to develop shows with more underdogs. So that's also very heavy uh, in, in their new developments late. So you, you, you could see maybe not necessarily medical dramas right away, but other, other shows that have been inspired by this, uh, The Good Doctor's success. Will this uh, be enough for ABC? The two shows that we talked about between Roseanne's uh, big kind of huge comeback and uh, The Good Doctor and some of the other successes, is, are they going to be able to build on this momentum at ABC and really start climbing the ranks? I think that they are. And this was also really important for them to have one, at least one hit this year because they're going to have Scandal going off the air at the end of this year. They've already announced, Shonda Rhimes had already announced that she felt this that story had come to its end. 
And then next year is most likely going to be the last year for a modern family. They signed a, that cast signed a two year deal last year and everyone had kind of agreed that that was probably going to be it. So when you have two long running hits coming to an end, you desperately need to kind of have new, new shows to take their place. And it looks like they may have had that. All right. Well, thank you so much, uh, Jason, for coming on the show and recapping. And we're going to have you back pretty soon. I think in a few weeks we're going to be talking about all things streaming and OTT and uh, all the uh, all the fun stuff coming out there on, on streaming services. So uh, you'll be back uh, before you know it. I will see you guys soon. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. Our theme music is by Home. This episode was produced by Anya Fernando. Please take a moment to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews mean a lot to us personally, and they also help new audiences discover the show. For Adweek, I'm David Greiner, and we will be back next week.